0: So much as we come to this time of study, I invite your attention this morning. I actually, uh, you'll see up on the screen where we had acts 20 and 28. We're actually going to be in first Timothy three this morning, first Timothy three, fifteen to 16, first Timothy three, 15 to 16. And, uh, we are in uh, just a two part series last week. We looked at what is a pastor and we tried to answer some questions that you have brought to the table about what a pastor is and what a pastor isn't. And that, that, that is such a small teaching on such a big subject. And this morning, we're also only tackling the foothills of the Himalayas, as I like to say, about what is a church, what is the church. Because this is such a broad topic, but it's something that I think we need to look at. And last week, I likened these topics, these Ask the Pastors You've Had of Us, of things we you've asked repeatedly the last couple of years. Uh, about this is kind of the plumbing if you will we have a lot of blue-collar workers here guys blue-collar guys this is how you frame it this is the frame of the house this is the plumbing this is the infrastructure Uh, and uh, this is not the drywall the paint and everything else this is the behind the scenes things that as a church may not sound that exciting but boy when you go to take a shower and you turn it on and the water doesn't come on you're grateful for that plumbing though aren't you it really makes a whole lot of sense. So that is where we are at today is First Timothy 3, 15 through 16. I do want to make uh, mention here, I don't think he's here today, I, I believe they're gone, but the Moody's, uh, John Moody will be preaching next Sunday. Uh, John will be sharing a little bit through a, a sermon with some experiences uh, that you all have faithfully prayed for him for uh, with Africa. It's a good break in, in our preaching schedule. So John Moody next Sunday, uh, uh, and he'll be preaching through a text Uh, next week and uh, you can hear that and uh, pray for our brother. He just took on a new security job. Over, He's the head of security now at the Subtropolis so uh, you can pray for him as he uh, manages more square feet than all of our homes put together. Amen. Uh, God is good. Alright, do we have any Amazon shoppers out there? Any Amazon primers? Anyone love Amazon? Anyone go to Amazon more than you go to Walmart these days? Anybody? Most of y'all? That's how it works. Well you may remember this from a couple months back. Actually it's been almost two months to the day. But Amazon, of course, is known as one of the biggest, is the biggest online seller outside of Walmart. And on February 28th, people realized there was another side to Amazon. And you may remember this. There's a thing called Amazon Web Services. And it's a giant provider for over 150,000 websites. And it went down for four hours that day, and it crippled websites all across America. Actually, you got this screen right here if you tried to do anything. Uh, you say, what does that say exactly? It says absolutely nothing except the internet is down. And what in the world do you do in the technological world when the internet goes down? You cry because the internet went down, right? That's what you do. Amazon has over 42% of what they call the cloud storage. And for some of you, that's going to be like, oh, I get that. I still don't know what the cloud is. I think that's the thing outside. You know, that's That's the things that have been over us for the last three days pouring down rain. But the the problem with this was is that one person, one innocent person, unknowingly entered one incorrect command, and the whole system went boom, just like that. And if you were on the web, and you remember that, you remember? Does anyone remember this? A couple months ago, you web surfers. I'm surprised because this is absolutely every our website was down as a result, and it was one incorrect command that he forgot to type in the correct way in the correct place that sent the whole internet spiraling out of control. Isn't that crazy that our whole world is based on one guy somewhere in his mom's basement typing in the correct line <laughs> hoping to get it right? That's really what we have before us. But you know, I think that's, as we look at the church, and I was thinking about this, this transition because it, it just makes sense to me at least in my small mind, but one thing that happens with the church as we look at it is if you miss one thing that we're going to talk about today in this message about what the church is, then everything else goes out into oblivion. And you don't have a church, you have a circus. And you don't have a church, you have a caricature of a church, because we will miss this very thing. If you get one thing wrong, like Amazon, the whole Christian experience goes out the window. That's why the Bible reminds us in Ephesians 5.22 and husbands, a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about biblical manhood through the month of May, but uh, I took a picture of my Bible with this and it says, the, Ephesians 5.22, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ himself is head of the what? The church, right? His body and is himself, his savior. Friends, how we handle the church What we know of the church affects everything we do in life. Just like that man typing in the code, getting it correctly, affects what most people do on these things called smartphones. So everything we do in the church affects everything else that goes on. Your life, your family's life, your kids, how we lead here, how we don't lead here. And we have to remember those things. So the questions we're going to answer this morning, what is the church? Have you ever just stopped and thought about that? Well, Darren, we're in the church. Yes, But what is the church? Is it a building? I mean, I would love for you all to come over to our house. We just wouldn't fit you all in there, right? But we have church at our house. That would be great. My my wife would love that because the kids could take naps and it would be a grand, it would be awesome, but we can't do that. So do you have to have a church building? What is the church and what is the purpose of the church? Well, friends, as a narrow focus, and we'll see this in 1 Timothy 3, I want to share this big idea with you, and it's so, so important. Because in today's world, where we have many places that are called churches, in name, they're not true churches. The churches are those who proclaim God's word, they have the right gospel, they administer the sacraments correctly, and they preach the truth of God's word. That is what has always been believed is a true church. But for us, what does this mean? Let me give you the big idea today. The big idea is this, that every season of true revival in the church's history goes back and starts with a return to the authority and sufficiency of Scripture alone. Sola Scriptura is what the Reformers said. Friends, the church is a divine project. So much that Christ likened it, uh, Paul likened it to Christ and and God as us as the bride of the church. And the purpose of the church is not to attract. It's not to detract either, but to go. And it's to live out the, the commands. The people are the church. Look, I love this building, and Richard, we always say at prayer meeting, this good old building, it doesn't leak, it keeps us warm, it keeps us cold. But if this building burned down, God forbid the thought, if it burned down, friends, the church doesn't go away. And that's what the key is. Friends, to know why the church exists is to know what God has required of us, and that is that we would understand these three questions we're going to understand from our text today. First, who is in charge of the church? Who is in charge of the church? Secondly. What is the purpose of the church? And finally, what is the standard rule for how we operate and don't operate as the church? Again, we're putting in the plumbing here, but you as a church member, you say, Darren, this is just great theology, but what does this matter to me? Friends, this matters everything to you. If you're a grandparent, this matters how you encourage your grandkids to go or not go to a certain church with respect. This as if you're church shopping, if that's the right phrase, this lends you to believe. What church should you look for? And God may lead you to a different one. Go where he goes. But what is it that makes a church? Why is it important? Friends, just because they have a church on the sign doesn't mean they're a church according to God's word. Do I say that or does God's word say that? The word does. But we need to look at those things today. And this is encouraging for us why we do what we don't do. And at the very end, we'll have some practical application, but we got to work through the text. So with that in mind, will you stand up and join me this morning as we read 1 Timothy 3, Verses 15 to 16, with particular focus this morning on, uh, it'll be actually uh, verse 16 this morning. So let's do that to God's glory as we read. First Timothy three fifteen and 16. This is on page 992 of the Blue Bible on your pew at the very top. Page 992, Blue Pew Bible. It says this. Actually, let's back up to verse 14. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress or foundation of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness that he, that's Christ, was vindicated in the flesh, manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory." Friends, how we handle the church affects how we handle absolutely everything in this church from staff to purpose to mission to vision to Sunday school and, dare I say, how you even change a diaper back in the nursery. How you view the church affects literally everything that you do. It really, really does. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you so much. And, Father, sometimes uh, we have to make a big mess Uh, as they say in construction, to make it look pretty. Father, I pray as we've kind of taken back the veil on what is a pastor last week, Lord, what is the church today, that you would give us great wisdom. Father, we don't claim to know all things, you know all things, but Father, as the one who knows all things, that you would grant us the wisdom and lead us by your spirit to teach us old truths that we need to be refreshed in, or to challenge us with new truths that we need to be settled in. Father, whichever side of that coin we are, thank you that Father, we're here. Thank you, the church is what you've given us. Thank you for Tower View Baptist Church's fellowship that some 55 years ago, 57 years ago, that you brought together to reach this area, Maple Park, Grace Father, what a privilege it is to serve here. Father, we pray for your wisdom this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we start this morning, I just want you to look at, uh, again, at verse 15. And if you're taking notes, we'll have these up, as always. Uh, and the first question we have to ask is just that, who is in charge of the church? Look back at verse 15, if you will. Paul writes this, and he says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, and which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. Paul is, of course, writing to the name of the man who's in your title, Timothy, and he is being very Hebrew here, if you will. Paul is. He's throwing one term on top of another to describe the church. And so he asks the question without asking the question. He says, who is the owner of the church? Who's in charge of the church? And the answer, of course, is Sunday school answer is God, Jesus, yes, absolutely. It's his church. It's not yours, it's not mine, it's God's church. And we are in constant need, friends, to hear that truth. It is not the church of Matt Andrews, it's not the church of Pastor Gilbert and Beery, it's not the church of Pastor Darren Smith, it is not the church of anyone, anything, anyone else, but the Lord's church. That statement right there will get you in trouble with a lot of churches. Because although we don't say it, we often act as though we own the church and we can do everything with the church. But friends, we need to constantly remind ourselves that it is God's church. I I, I won't want you to turn there, but I put it in my notes here. Acts 20 and verse 28, Paul said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which you, the Holy Spirit, has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his blood. The church, there are two types of churches. There is the church universal, which means those are true believers across all denominations, across all time. We are worshiping on a Sunday, the Lord's Day, where churches everywhere are doing that just like we are. And if they truly have repented and believed Christ and, and, and believed the gospel, then they are part of what we call the universal church. Not universalism. We don't believe everyone's going to be saved, but the universal church that someday in heaven will be the greatest praise band we ever know. Isn't that going to be awesome? Uh, If you can't sing praise God in heaven, you will. And you'll sing pretty darn well, if I may say so myself. But there's also the local church, and that's what we are. We are a local church. And to be a local church, we need to remember whether you are part of the universal church, which is every true Christian, or you're part of a local fellowship, which we encourage you, join a church, be a part of it, serve her, be a part of that area. We need to remember that it is God's church. Just because the pastor's name is on... A bulletin or something like that does not mean that pastor has a right to do anything except what God has said to do. Who do the people belong to? The Lord of creation, that's who they belong to. People belong to God by right of creation and redemption through Jesus Christ. So, what am I as a pastor? We talked about this last week. As a pastor, I'm an overseer, a shepherd, a servant leader, and we're to feed and guard and protect. But we're not to be clever. We're not to be clever. I can't even find anywhere in the scripture where I'm called to be a great leader. And there's so much out there today in Christian. If we can just get the right leader at the right spot, at the right time, at the right church, then God will move among the nations. Friends, I don't see that in scripture at all. I see faithful callings of overseers that I'm here. We are called to be biblical and lead God's church only to what is written. Friends, there are so many things out there today. You know, every church that's ever made it big, the pastor has written a book, you uh, They write books about this stuff all the time. You know, if you just, we started out here and we did this, and if you follow my blueprint, you too can have a megachurch with your name behind it. That's crazy. He's building his own church on the bones of unconverted church members so that he can make a name for himself, or she perhaps. But what does God say here? We do not need to hear from clever men. Friends, we need to hear from the inspired scriptures. This is why Paul says in First Timothy three fifteen. You see that phrase there. The church is referred to as the household of God. The household of God. Literally, the Greek word. If you want to be, if you want to impress your friends today, the Greek word is oikos, uh, which means uh, he. It's a household. And if you go down, if you just flip back a page or go up to chapter three verse one in the same chapter, Paul says that an overseer, verse two, should be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self controlled respectable. Not a lover of money, not quarrelsome, not drunkard, but verse 4, he must manage his own household well. Fathers, if I can speak to you for a second. As a pastor, sometimes I think if I get through seminary and get a church, and that is the greatest calling that I have. Actually, the greatest calling I have is at home. The little church called the Smith family, and we're kind of crazy We're going through Genesis right now and talking about animals and all sorts of things and stars and all that fun stuff. But fathers, men, your greatest church is not whatever church you serve here locally, although that's a big part of it. Your greatest church is to baptize your wife in the Word of God and baptize your children, not literally in water, but in the Word of God, that you talk about it, you live it out so much, that you do everything about it so much, that you as a household ruler, especially those who've been called to teach and preach, can manage at home first before you manage God's. God is the master of the house. We believe that, don't we? God is. What does this mean? That means there's only one Lord. There's only one head of the church. It's Christ, and it's His house, and it's His rules. Let me give you an example. You know, we we, we try to like to have people over. We're in a stage with Simeon where we're trying to work at him to sit still and all those great things. He's doing great and learning. But you know, if you came over to our house. And you came in and I say I ran off to change clothes and, and getting some you know something less formal and all that sort of thing. And and when I came in, you had rearranged all my Wheaties boxes in my house. And then you tell my wife to do this, that, and the other. And then you tell my kids to do this, that, and the other. Guys, you're always welcome at my house. But my Superman muscles might start coming out at you after a while if you start keeping it up. Do you see what I'm saying? The household of God, the church, is his. There is a sense in which I would despise you. I will be polite, absolutely. But I will say, who in the world do you think you are coming into my house? First off, moving my Wheaties boxes. You don't touch those. More importantly, telling my wife what to do and telling my kids what to do. Friends, that's what we've done with the church. God, here it is. But this is what I want to do. Or, or let me give you another illustration. There, there was once a wealthy businessman who uh, was over a huge media corporation. As far as I know, it's a true story. The man heard that God was a jealous God. And this wealthy man said, I don't want to be like this God because he, he's so low he has to be jealous. I don't get that. And that's not true. God isn't jealous like a high school jealousy. He's jealous for his own glory and his own name. And this, this person didn't realize what they were saying. But he built a very big empire. He was a brilliant man. And one day, a brand new employee walks into his downtown office and somehow meanders through security and sets in the captain's chair that is this big businessman's chair. And he sits there and he says, who are you? You didn't build this. You weren't even here when I started it. This is your first day on the job. How dare you do so? You're crazy and arrogant that you would come in here and think you can run my company by your rules. But friends, this is exactly what we have done to the church of God. We have churches, we have pastors, we have people who aren't running the church according to the Bible but are, and what is written, but are according to their own clever plans that they find somewhere that someone has done doing the word of God. Do you see that? The Bible calls here the church the household of God. So, friends, what we do in this church and how we do things in this church matter, then don't they? Yeah, I hope you wouldn't want anyone to walk into your house and just commandeer whatever you You know, just come in and take whatever you want. I mean, there there's some situations there, but friends, look. Let me give you another example this way. I share, I share more examples now than I probably do in one sermon, but I want you to see this. Imagine there was a great king, and he loved his bride so much. Oh, he loved her. Man, he gave the world for her. And he always dressed her in the simple but the most eloquent beauty because she was so naturally beautiful, this great king. She didn't need the wild hairdo. She didn't need the makeup. She didn't need anything. She just needed to be a pure and godly example of what beauty was. One day, the king had to go out on a journey, and he realized that he needed a caretaker. So he calls in his servant, his steward, and he says to the caretaker, I'm entrusting you with my wife. You need to watch out for her. You need to take care of her. You need to be for her and take care of her while I'm not here. And I've laid out in this book every single rule, everything that she's to do to maintain that for her sake, her sanity and the kingdom. Be faithful to carry that out, servant. He says, yes, sir, and goes on. Now the king's gone for a long time, and the people start losing interest in the king. So much interest that they start losing interest in the queen. She's too simple. She's boring. She's prudish. Boy, she needs to get up with the times. And you know what happens after that? She's out of step. So what does the caretaker do? He calls her in, and he calls in all these people. She takes off, He takes off her white, elegant dress and puts on something far more attractive to carnal people, paints her face, then parades her up and down. And you know what happens when they do that? By doing that, the queen attracts all sorts of rebel rousers that she would never have attracted before because of the way she is dressed. Yet friends, that is exactly what we have done in churches today. Through every kind of method, through every kind of whatever cleverness that has come in, we have taken the simplicity of the bride of Christ and her beauty, her purity, and her holiness, and we dress her up and we parade her around with carnal men and somehow think that if we do that, will make her more swallowable, palatable to the world. I'm grateful we have a church that doesn't believe that. But you'd be amazed how many do. Friends, here's the faith lesson I want you to go. And we'll move on to our next point. Expressing love for Jesus, but disdain for his church is like trashing your best friend's life. Jesus loves his broken bride. Look, is the church universal, perfect, by golly? No. Is the local church here perfect? No. Is your pastor perfect? No. Is your pastor of students perfect? No. Is your pastor of worship? We always joke that he is, but even Gilbert is broken at times. Brethren, I love you. Friends, we need to remember that Jesus says that the church, especially here through Paul, is the household of God. Yes, the bride in America is broken at times yes we don't do what we should do but that doesn't mean we have to get to the level of the world to make things right friends if we want to make things right in the church we just simply need to follow what God has said amen And that's what he tells us friends many times I've prayed Lord increase your fear in me because if we are afraid for people to know this God then we should be afraid about how we handle how people see this God in the local church we are to be like the faithful, Hag, or the faithful—not uh, Haggai, but uh, Esther's uncle Mordecai, uh, who who put. Uh, if you remember the story in Esther, he basically wanted to make her presentable not to the nation. He wasn't. He had one task. If you remember that story, Mordecai, he was to present her to who, the king. You remember that. And friends, we are called here in verse fifteen, the church of the living God. Did you notice that? Look back at verse 15. He calls it the church of the living God. (laughs) Friends, what is the church? The church is where God's people join together to do God's things as written in God's book. Jeremiah 10.10, as Matt read, said that the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. His wrath is one of earthquakes and nations can't conquer his indignation. His commands, God's commands for the church are not to be ignored and replaced with clever ideas. Talk to that to the worship leaders, Nahab and Abihu, who tried to do that and were burned to the stake. Do you see how this affects everything that we do? Friends, this is the church of the living God. This is comparing what what was happening in Ephesus where Timothy was at. That was the greatest secondary place for worship of false gods outside of, uh, of Greece and Rome. And this is the living God. We serve the living God. And because we serve the living God, the church is not just supposed to be the next six great steps to church growth or this pastor did that or man, if we could just get this idea in here, we would revolutionize our area. Friends, we need to do exactly what the Bible says, no more and no less and leave it for God to do the work. We have no right to think up of clever ways for the church to be served, only what is written as a caretaker. Why? Why? Because who's in charge? Who is it? It's God. And friends, what I just shared is something that is the heartbeat of our ministry here. And I'll unpack that a little later on. But we need to remember as we continue, what is the church? God is in charge of the church. His ways are above our ways. We follow what he says in the word. Second thing, what is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church look at verse 15 again. We've seen that God is in charge of the church. It's his household. We should create our ways uh, to follow after him. In verse 15, what is the purpose of the church? You see that phrase there, and your translation may have it different, but it says, a pillar and buttress of the truth, or a pillar and foundation of the truth. Pillar or support, perhaps, your Bible says. Friends, the church holds and supports in front of the world and maintains its oppositions to all attacks because of the purpose of the church. Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So what is the task of the church? I mean, you've ever thought about that before? Why do we do what we do around here? What is the purpose? Why are you here today? Why do we do this a certain way? We do it because we have the greatest news the world has ever known. We have the gospel. Friends, and if that doesn't excite you, we have the gospel, the greatest mystery that has ever been told to man, we have in our midst. You know, I, I posted this on Thursday, I think it was on Facebook. Any Unsolved Mystery fans out there, Unsolved Mystery fans, Robert Stack, his voice will scare you into covering under your covers for the rest of your life. He's got that manly voice and all the fog. Unsolved Mystery still scares me after 30 years of being on the air. It really, really does. You know Why? Because there's, they're trying to solve these unsolved mysteries. Well, friends, we don't have to unsolve anything with the gospel. God has given us all we need in Jesus Christ. And that's what we have. Why are so many pastors laying aside the truth and becoming entertainers to draw crowds? Friends, we don't need Jesus written on our arm. We need the law of God written on our arm. We don't need to bend to the whim of every changing fallen man culture thing. We need to present the church in a way that shows it for what it is. It's a pillar and support, a pillar and a buttress of truth. What most people do is present it as intellectual. Well, the church has all these evidences, and those aren't bad. God graciously gave those to us. But we say, if we can just show them how smart we are, then we'll win them to Jesus. Or we show them how cultural we are, how, how uh, uh, astute we are with the, the culture around us. If That if we can just show them we're not those crazy, off-the-wall people they think we are on CNN, then maybe they'll come to the church. Or we say, man, we can just get a cool pastor. Woo! This place is going to be rocking around here, dude. You know? I'll throw my skinny jeans on and grab my big black glasses and call it even. If we can just be intellectual, if we can just be natural, cultural, and cool, then people will come to the church. Friends, you can open up every coffee house in the world. I'm not saying those who are in sin who did, but let's remember what our purpose is. Our purpose is not to entertain carnal men. Our purpose is to share forth the Gospels of Jesus Christ. The scandal is lost in the Gospel freedom becomes sin, and sin is bad, and as much time is wasted trying to convince the world that we're not unsophisticated, unhip, as we think we are, really in the end we just look like silly people trying to make amends to the world. That's why the scripture lesson, and Amy will put this up here, is that clear, consistent sharing of the gospel by humble, loving people trumps a million creative expressions, vibes, strategies and atmospheres ever, always why because Romans 1.16 does not say the power of God unto salvation is, is how cool your church is or how cool your pastor is, praise God for that because you would have fired me a long time ago but the Bible says, Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek, Romans one sixteen. Friends, the power is not in how we present ourselves. The power is remembering that our purpose is we are stewards of the gospel. And as stewards of the gospel, we have to be very careful how we take that. I mean, have you studied history before? You, you have, even in brief. Uh, friends, this is why, and I say this with sensitivity, but I need to share this fact. This is why 500 years ago, as the Reformation came, we broke away from the Roman Catholic Church because we consider it to be apostate. That is what it is. It's not a church, and we believe it never was. Now, are there Christians in there? Sure, but we believe God will draw them out. Yes. But friends, this is why Roman Catholic missions went so far, and this is very historical. You can check secular and other means, and even Protestants have bitten into this. They thought if we, they could just take the, the the ideals of the Catholic church in any culture and adopt anything into it, then if they just take a little bit of the culture and, and throw it in with some Catholic doctrine, then they've won over the people, and it worked, and it did. But Protestant friends, we've done the exact same thing here today. We have tried to take every Thing that we can from the culture and incorporate it into the church to win over people. And we've lost the power of God in the process. That's why the Reformation said, Sola scriptura, Scripture alone. The reformer said, we will not build according to the unchanging whims of an ungodly culture. We will change that ungodly culture by the power of the immutable gospel. Do you see that difference? Friends, Protestants have been the worst of this in history. We have taken everything the world has offered us and said, okay, inject it in, put it in the church, and people will come to Jesus. God may save people despite our best efforts, but friends, that's not what God would have us do. Even the so-called conservatives of evangelicals, friends, we need to find out who God is. Look, I am i am not a a fancy person we need to have direction in a church we need have vision in a church we're hitting reset buttons and a lot of ministries this summer as we shared at the business meeting last week just to step back and say where are we but friends may we never get to the point where this scripture does not inform everything that we do this is what we have this is what people have died for this is what the apostles gave us through the preaching of the holy spirit Friends, we must be careful that as the church, as the pillar and buttress of the truth, that we don't just turn this into a launching pad to whatever ideals that we have. You've all been in sermons like that. Unfortunately, I've given them where they take a little scripture passage and they read it. And that that that's their go back to, well, we read the Bible, but by the way, here's my thoughts. Friends, we don't want that. We want whatever is said in here to be what is in here. Amen? I hope you see that. And friends, I'm preaching a thousand times at myself because I've looked at how I've run church before and how I've run youth groups and all sorts of things and ministries and all things and that isn't always bad. But often this Bible became a secondary source of material other than being the primary. We could have the coolest people, the strongest people, the most wise people join this church. That does not mean we will win the culture. How do you win the culture? Friends, you're winning it by doing exactly what God's called you to do. Be faithful, love, share the gospel, open your homes to unbelievers. That's how you win people, and pray that God does the work that we cannot do. Do you see that difference there? Friends, we love you so much, and this is what the church is. We don't want it to be anything other than what God wants to be. Okay, let's be honest. Darren, are you saying we should go back to puritanical times where, you know, uh, you you dress in a robe with that cool fake hair? I mean, Darren, we know you want to wear that fake hair, you know, that fake white. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just simply saying that so often in evangelical culture and churches, we follow the fads because they're faddish. When God over here says, don't mess with my bride, she's enough. She's enough, and the truth is enough. I hope that makes sense. Let's end it with this. So what is the purpose of the church? It's to be stewards of the gospel. Who's in charge of the church? God is, and what is the standard for the church. Let's read First Timothy three fourteen and 15 again. I want you to see this, friends, so much. The standard for the church, Paul says, and verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know the one who ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Friends, when you read the word, how do you know what the church is supposed to do? Only because what is written. The application here is when you read the word, do you fear him? Do you trust that what God says He will do to build His church is enough to build His church? Do I, as a pastor, when you read the word, do you fear him? Do you see him as he is? You know, prayer can be a joyful thing, but prayer before a holy God can also be like an F five tornado wrecking through your life. And some of you have been there. God's just, boy, He's just moving you and shaking you. But He's to be respected, isn't He? He's the Lord. He. And we are the stewards. He didn't act on your opinion in one manner. He only told you to go and do what's written and do that. And there's enough commands in the Bible, there's enough truth in the Bible, that if we do them, we won't have time to do all the silliness that happens in many churches today. Go over to 1 Corinthians if you have your Bible. Save your spot there in 1 Corinthians. I just want to read this, maybe as more reflection to myself, but also for our church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Uh, a couple books back to the left. 1 Corinthians three, twelve. And friends, I, I really want to say this. I, I, I struggle with this message this week. And I, I when I say the struggle, because friends, I, as a pastor, we often go through things. We want to be the best stewards of God's church that we can be. We do. And as I was going through, as God often does, the, the bricks started piling on, and I couldn't breathe under the pressure of just knowing what this, this these verses are about to say. Tower View, specifically in the context, this is talking to a local church at Corinth. But broader, it's talking to pastors. First Corinthians chapter three and verse twelve, and I'll explain what I mean. First Corinthians three twelve, Paul says, uh, actually verse eleven: For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay and straw, each one's work will be dis- manifest for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one does. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive reward. If the, anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You know what waited on me as your pastor this week, and I'm only sharing this to share because I want you to know what happens behind the scenes sometimes. I ask myself this question, Darren, in 30 years, if you're at Tower View, by God's grace for 30 years, is your ministry there going to be burned up like chaff, or is it going to be stand as a foundation of truth that is there? Fathers, mothers, as you raise your kids, is your ministry to your kids going to be burned up like chaff, or will it be a foundation by which they stand? Only if in those 30 years you've only done what God has commanded you do and written as God has said, can you say, Yes, Lord, I believe it will. It'll stand. <laughs> Friends, 1 Timothy 4.16 reminds us to keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Friends, would you pray for our church that we stand on the foundation of the word of God, which is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, more than anything else. More than anything else. I've read strategy book after strategy book, and those are not bad things in themselves. But what it comes back to is, is what we're doing and friends, I'm not speaking anything specific I'm just speaking generally, but applying it specifically is what we are doing at our church, glorifying to God and how we lay out the truth to others for, there are two types of things that come from churches, many of you have heard this before there are two types of thought on this, there's those who believe in what are called the regulative principle let me just give you some church history for a minute how many of you have you heard of the regulative principle before, anybody? One hand that goes up, couple hands. Nelson, you know this, brother, from from many a uh, discussion online that we're both a part of. You've heard it six months in a row. For <laughs> the first time. The regulative principle, which just came out of the Reformation, believed that as a church we should do only what the Bible has said and is permissible in worship, not just music, but in the life of the church. What is written, if it doesn't say it, don't do it. And then most evangelicals have what's called the normative principle. That That is, whatever is not permitted in Scripture is allowed to the peace and unity of the church. And friends, I'm not here to debate those two things. I'm really not. But I believe in the light of 1 Timothy 3, in the light of 1 Corinthians 3, it should be clear to us, the more we latch ourselves on to that regulative principle, Lord, the more we do what the Bible says to do, the better off we will be on that day when God judges our works as a church and individuals as Christians the more confidence we can have that our works will remain. The more more we move toward the normative principle that whatever floats your boat, whatever works, as long as you get them in the door, you're you're successful, the more you're going to be burning up like chaff. Do you want to know what ate at me this week? His father, as senior pastor, am I directing a church that way? I, I didn't get a clear answer. I don't think we are. I don't believe we are, friends. But how easily we could. Friends, what I want to submit to you is that this Bible, we believe, the Southern Baptist faith, and, uh, Baptist faith and Message 2000 says this Bible is sufficient for all matters of faith and practice. For everything that you do in your faith, this Bible tells you how to live your life. Do you believe that? Does that mean that God cannot use things outside? Does that mean, Darren, I mean, should you never show the Jesus film on the mission field for someone? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying we really have to come back to the basics, the plumbing, and ask the question what is the standard of rule for the church? It's this and Amy will put it up. The great standard rule is this, is that there's great danger when we avoid God's clear commands. There's also great danger when we command what Scripture does not. We don't have time to flush that statement out to the end of that needs. But friends, does our gospel emphasize the holy righteous character of God? Does it emphasize the sinfulness of man? Does it matter how we share Christ with people. What kind of gospel call do we give? Do we deal with souls for weeks, months, and a night watch if necessary? Do we give assurance to people in our church? More than just you prayed a prayer 55 years ago, you must be a Christian, or do we lead them to true biblical warnings in the gospel, First John? Are we biblical in our devotion, our prayer, and our study with the consistency of people who've gone before us, those old dead guys, be seen in our study? Are we not only convicted by the lives of those before us, but are we also convicted by how we are to live today? Do we study God's word? Do we delight in God's word? Do we study the law? Do we seek to imitate all of Christ is? Do we live a life of brokenness and joy? Is moral purity things that we seek after do we watch things we shouldn't watch, listen to things we shouldn't listen to, and bemoan things in our culture that should be bemoaned? Do we have, have we gone through the Bible to see the things that God hates? And yes, God does hate things. Proverbs says he, very, seven very specific things. And how to repel them while equally seeing the things that he loves and delighting in those and being okay with that. Are we okay as a church just to be an ordinary church? Are we okay being just an ordinary church? I don't mean that in a, oh, let's just do church and go home. But I mean, is the Bible enough for us? Is the scripture enough? Are Darren's jokes bad enough that the Bible needs to be enough? Amen? (laughs) Jeff, I heard that, brother. I'll get you (laughs) next time. Don't worry. (laughs) Look, friends. Friends. If we're asking the question, what is the church? We have to go back to where the church is defined, and it's called the Church of the Living God. And if the church is the living God, what did Timothy tell? Paul tell Timothy, I if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the household of God. The church is not just a building, it's how we do everything as a church. You know, as a church, friends, we need to remember that it doesn't matter if we get 15,000 people or if we have 15. If God uses us to lovingly, boldly, compassionately, mercifully share the gospel, and God boils us down to a small number, and that's what God has for us because we've tried to reconcile, we've tried to reach out, try to do everything we can biblically. Romans twelve eighteen. 18. So long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If we are doing that, then praise God if God sees fit to bring us great revival here and this church is ballooned out and Don you know, Don and Carlos have to start building 24 hours a day to get out to Randolph and down and Carlos, I know you would love to do that, brother. Uh, keep you busy? No, he says no. I'm retiring. Yeah, Don can't retire because he, yeah. Look, if you if our success is based on something more than prayer and the word of God and how it affects people, then friends, the devil laughs at us like a little boy trying to play army. look, Success is not measured in a church by the numbers that come into the church. It's a great sign of health. But God will not judge us someday because we sent out 10,000 flyers and 1,000 of them came back to, to come to church. Friends, God will judge us on how we handled his word, how we handled his word. Like Ezra, we've set our heart to follow the law of God and like Levi, we stand in awe of the name and unrighteousness that is not on our lips. Let me close with if I may, six faith lessons of application. Number one, and I say this first to myself as I put this up here, love the church you're in and where it is, not the church in your head. Let me clarify. This does not mean that we should never seek to do better what we do here. This does not mean that we should ever try to not improve and, and, and have meetings and all. not saying that at all. But each of us, if we're honest, has a vision of a church in our heads, and we are so trying to get to that vision that we forget that there are people that need to be taught right here, right now, the basics of the truth. Do you see that? Friends, this does not mean we shouldn't vision cast. This doesn't mean that. But so often we say, if our church just did this, if our church just did that, if we just did this, this, that, and that may be right, that may be correct, but do you love faithfully the people that are right in front of your eyes, your brothers and sisters in this church? It's it's very much a thing of pastors to get a gathering of people and then look for a better opportunity. And friends, I, I pray as long as God gives me breath, that is not how we operate here. I, I As long as the Lord allows, I, I will be here. Matt will be here. Gilbert will be here as long as the Lord. And we agree that that's a good thing for both sides. But love the church you're in not, and where it is. Love the people where they're at. You know what? God loved you where he you were at, didn't he? God didn't love you when you got spiffed up. God didn't love me when you put on your Sunday best. God loved you as a sinner in need of grace right at the moment that you needed him. What a great reminder. Second thing is this. The Holy Spirit of God doesn't wear the church's Fitbit or Apple Watch. And I love both of those things. I love technology. Guys, God may do things in his time that we are not ready for yet. We may be counting the steps saying, hey, God, we have walked 10,000 years. Isn't that amazing grace? We're going to sing that here in a few minutes. Lord, where have you been, friends? The Holy Spirit is not a um, Holy Spirit is not a little demigod that we can call on like Aladdin and the genie. What was the genie's name, by the way? Uh, genie. He was genie. He's not a genie we can rub and he shows up, but we pray and we work. And I, I, I praise God for a brother here and he knows who he is. Who's expanding my view of the Holy Spirit and his work. The Holy Spirit's not in a box. The Holy Spirit works in ways that he works, but in a way that is consistent with God's word, obviously. But so often we become the Holy Spirit ourselves, one to another in the church, in the neighborhood, when all we need to do is rest at God's feet and trust that he is enough to get us through. Friends, there's a lot of changes we'd love to see at this church, but often those changes come when God leads it, not necessarily when a vision is cast by a person. Number three, the church must be a safe place for those who aren't okay and an unsafe place for those who want to stay there. How does that work? Friends, if you know our church very well, you know that this is a place, and we've said this often, this is a place where it's okay not to be okay. But by God's grace and God's love, we want to show you the better way, right? We want to show you how to live for Christ. We want to show you how to love one another, forgive, reconcile, move on, to share the gospel, to study the Bible, all those things. If you're here and you say, Darren, I don't know if this church is going to judge me, friend, we will hold no judgment here in that sense, but we want to point you to Christ because he's the greater. He's the greatest. We are fallen people, but Christ is supreme. May our church be a place where it's okay for people to come, but may by grace, with love, and at times with boldness, point people back to the cross of Christ. That's the amazing part of what we get to do. That's the amazing part. Number four, or actually it'll be number one again if we hit the reset button. But friends, the church is the only group on earth where you have to admit you're a wicked sinner to become a member. Did you ever think about that? Most places, if you join a fraternity, man, you got to have the grit and the, the whoa, you know, all these things. But as a church member, you only have to show forth that I don't deserve any of this. But I just want to serve with all those people who don't deserve any of this too. And we're going to call ourselves a church. Amen. That's what the church is about. You don't, you don't become a member of this church because you have a, a, a big 401k or you can, man, you can like build a house in a day. That's amazing. But that doesn't get you in the church. What gets you in the church is realizing that you are a sinner in need of grace and that by grace, you want to serve God and his local people. And you've repented and believed the gospel that Christ died for you. He took your wrath. He was buried. He literally rose again. He's risen. He's risen indeed. And you've believed that message. That's what gets you in the church. You don't have to go through 15 steps of Freemasonry, and that's, that's falsehood anyway. You don't have to go through secret handshakes of the Unitarian Universalists. Although, if you want to make a secret handshake back there, I thought, you know, we shake hands a lot, let's do it. But that doesn't get you any closer to going to the church. Number five, when we are anchored to, fixated on, and empowered by the gospel of Christ, we will stir stuff up and sort stuff out. The amazing thing about the gospel is it says that it'll completely transform your world. Wasn't it the disciples in Acts who were told that they turned the world upside down is what the world said of them. Church, may we be known for that. May we turn, by God's grace and spirit, Gracemore, Maple Park, Clay Como, and Randolph upside down to see people come to Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? Do you look forward to that day that you, by God's grace, would turn upside down your family? Some of you have... uh, Family histories where people are not Christians, you may be the only family members that are. Pray that God would use you to stir stuff up. Again, don't just be a dummy for Jesus, if, if I can use that. Don't just be a, well, I got to stir, pastor said I got to stir stuff up around. here. I'm just going to say something, make some noise around here. Pastor, that's not what we're saying. We're simply saying, by God's grace, as you live for him, you're going to be countercultural. Not because you're clever, but because you're faithful. And you'll sort stuff out. There's no problem in any church, anywhere, that as we are anchored in, fixated on, and empowered by the gospel of Christ that cannot be fixed. Anything less than the belief that God can reconcile anything, anyone, any situation in this church is demeaning to the gospel of Christ. I love this last one. In the church, no one can say to another, we don't need you. We can get along without you. Every member, every gift is vital to the body. Friends, I love the people here who scrub toilets. Praise the Lord for clean toilets, amen? You know why? Because there are so many people who scrub those toilets to the glory of God more than I can ever myself preach to the glory of God. There are many of you who do things in this church that we will never see, never know about, never be on the headlines, but by God's grace you are serving faithfully. Everyone here who is a member of this church is a vital link in the mission to turn things up for God and to stir it out and we love you for it. Thank you so much for serving so faithfully so many other times. What is a church? It's the place where God works. Who's in charge? It's God. What's the purpose? It's to share the gospel. And what's the standard? It's God's word. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, we come before you today knowing that, Lord, so graciously that many of these things we're talking about here are already in place at our church. But, Father, lest we be like the uh, church, I believe, at Philadelphia, who uh, seemed to have all their doctrinal truth in a row, you told them that, Father, they were neither hot nor cold, but they were simply lukewarm. Father, may you stir in our hearts the continual passion to love one another, to grow together, to to, to be this church in this local body. Thank you so much for so many faithful people. Father, you guard us from so many things. Lord, as we go back to the scripture of what it says, help us to know. And Father, for some, that's going to be a new revelation. Some are just open in the Bible, praise God. Some of us have studied it uh, for 50, 60 years. But Lord, no matter what it is, may your spirit refresh our hearts to know that you are enough for us. Father, help everything we do to go back to that one purpose, to be and make disciples and to make you known. Father, we pray that for all of our things, from the diapers up to the big decisions. May that be true. Father, thank you for Tower View Baptist Church. May we be known as a place that is the household of God, of the living God. And may our church be known, not pig not pridefully, but humbly, boldly, lovingly, a place that has the word of God as the pillar and the foundation of truth. Father, that's our prayer. Thank you for these dear faithful members. Father, thank you so much for each one here. Father, you are working in hearts and stirring in hearts. It's, it's super encouraging. Father, help us to do all things for your glory. Thank you for each one here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us in standing this morning.